0: This is Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios.
1: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jake Cantor. Keeping us busy this episode, they were compared to the Seven Dwarves, and some said they resembled Lord Sugar's latest crop of boardroom lambs. No, not another wacky factual entertainment format, but BBC Management's tense encounter with the Public Accounts Committee. Liz Howe, the Director of Broadcasting at City University, join us to pick over the bones of another difficult week for auntie also on the program lisa campbell heads to the uk tv showcase where she discovered more about the broadcaster's upcoming programming slate and grabbed a few words with comedian ross noble and finally stephen d wright helps us cast a critical eye over fox uk's first uk commission meet the russians and new bbc3 show phases urban takeover that's all coming up Liz Howe and broadcast online editor Alex Farber are here to steer us through that feast of offerings. Welcome to you both.
2: Hello. Hello. Uh,
1: Liz, uh, you're on sabbatical at the moment, uh, focusing on broadcast's campaign to champion women experts on television. Uh, how's that all going?
2: Oh, it's really hard work. We have so much data you wouldn't believe because we've been monitoring programmes now for about three years. Um, finding out how many women experts are on each programme, news and current affairs and often we just decided we'd, you know, monitor for fun, oh let's do CNN this month or let's do, you know, Russia Today and of course in academic terms it's all got to be much more streamlined and organised and all this material has got to be put in a Bit giant spreadsheet it. and, yeah. but it's really, really interesting and some of the figures that are being thrown up are quite surprising So we can
1: expect some fascinating findings
2: I, I do hope so, yeah, it is quite serious actually and one of the things we do seem to be seeing is that even if the number of women experts is going up, particularly on the BBC, the number of women journalists is going down and that is really worrying.
1: Look forward to hearing more on that. Uh, And Al, your broadcast talking TV debut. Very excited. (laughs) Uh, On with the show. Cries of snouts in the trough have greeted the BBC's £25 million pay-off debacle, which took on a fresh significance this week. Seven past and present BBC grandees were hauled before the PAC on Monday to explain their actions, including BBC Trust Chairman Lord Patton and former Director General Mark Thompson. The committee's incredulous MPs may have failed to land a direct blow to any one individual, but the BBC's current governance arrangements emerge from the gruelling three-hour session in tatters. It's why, on Wednesday, the BBC announced a major review of the relationship between the Trust and the Executive. There was pressure, too, from Culture Secretary Maria Miller, who told the RTS Cambridge Convention that problems must be addressed. Let's hear from PAC Chair Margaret Hodge, providing the BBC with some food for thought.
0: In my view, I think this has been a grossly unedifying occasion, which can only damage, uh, in my view, uh, the standing and the reputation of the BBC. And I hope we regret that. I hope all of you regret that. Have we got any wiser? I don't know we will have to see when we look at the uh, details of the transcript when it's brought to us. But at the best, I think what we've seen is incompetence, a lack of central control, a failure to communicate for an organization whose business is communication. And at worst, we may have seen people covering their backs by being less than open. And that is not good for the thousands of people who work for the BBC uh, and who produce the fantastic content which enriches all of our lives.
1: So, Liz... Is the BBC's review of governance knee-jerk or necessary?
2: Well, it's certainly necessary and you can hardly call it knee-jerk because this has been rumbling on for a while now and this is just the, the really the, the the head of the boil, if you like. Um, it's quite important and very important that it's looked at quickly because the public saw what was going on and the public isn't happy and the public will be telling their MPs and, and that's why this thing has boiled up in the, in the way it has. But again, it's a sort of slightly typical BBC reaction. The BBC can be very sanctimonious. Something goes wrong internally and they immediately make a big fuss about fixing it themselves and I always say like in the the Hutton inquiry where they suddenly turned around and became the purveyor of high journalism standards it was a bit as if Marks and Spencers had sold poison sandwiches and then set up a catering course you know so I think that one of the problems with the BBC is there isn't enough external monitoring of it there isn't enough genuine and caring criticism of it and within the BBC there's often a sort of smug tradition of, of when we can cover our traces we can make it right.
1: And what do you think Jake was Maria Miller right to weigh in? I think thus far, Maria Miller has been a pretty impotent force in broadcasting, uh, and this gives her something to cling to. It underlines her authority, I think, as the Culture Secretary, and BBC bashing is almost a popular support.
2: I don't think you could say that, because when you use the phrase BBC bashing, that immediately causes a sort of backlash in favour of the BBC. This is not BBC bashing. Bashing implies a sort of thoughtless thuggery, you know, beating them around the head. Nobody wants to do this. This is people feeling a genuine sense of of horror and being appalled and genuinely reacting. It's not crazy thuggery and bashing. What do
1: you make of her idea to give the National Order Office more access to the BBC books?
2: I think that's perfectly fine. The BBC is a public institution. Why not? One of the things that really does get my goat is this idea that the BBC is so big and so complicated and so amazing, like a crazy gifted child in the school, that we've all got to sort of really pad around the BBC. There are a hundred and nine universities in the u k The BBC is only the same size as the average university. There are a hundred and nine vice chancellors doing for better or worse a job of running a vast complex organisation it is not that tough of course it's difficult and of course you've got huge responsibility to the public but we're acting as if the BBC is is some unbelievable national treasure that we've got to cherish at all costs and I mean at all costs and I think there's time for people to step back and look at it more critically nobody looks at it very critically except perhaps the press and they have a vested interest there are very few forums for criticising the BBC constructively Mm. perhaps this is one of them
1: yeah I mean, the BBC is traditionally very prickly about the NAO, though, isn't it? And it always, it always sees uh, investigations as a, as a threat to its in- independence. I mean, well, do you not think the there's a danger of that?
2: No, I don't think there's a danger of that at all. I mean, the BBC's editorial independence is not remotely going to be affected by the National Audit Office looking at the books. Let's get real here.
1: Ofcom have been touted as a potential new regulator.
2: I'm totally in favour of that. I think that if Ofcom was the regulator, and if you look at um, Section 19 of the Ofcom Code, it already regulates an enormous amount of the BBC anyway. When you actually break it down and go on the websites and look as a member of the public and try and work out who does what, the Trust doesn't actually do Very much. It's really responsible for complaints. I'm sure if I was Colette Bowe or whoever at Ofcom, I'd be saying, oh, no, not complaints. We don't want to deal with that. But actually, there's no reason why Ofcom shouldn't deal with the whole of the BBC regulation in that sense. And that the BBC shouldn't have a single unitary board or two overlapping boards that look after the business. The only area where this would cause a problem is in market forces, because the BBC has to be watched, as I think Steve Hewlett said, it has a habit of parking its tanks on other people's lawns, you know, oh, let's go into that, let's go into this. And there does need to be someone who will say to the BBC, sorry, that's not your remit, you're interfering in Sky or ITV's commercial marketplace and and from a privileged point of view. So that's got to be watched. But that is actually not a detail, but it's something that could be solved in a new structure. And the trust is hopeless at doing that anyway.
1: BBC HR boss Lucy Adams has also been heavily criticised. Do you think that was fair? I mean, she was under siege before she barely even opened her mouth at the Public Accounts Committee hearing. Did she mislead them in June over her evidence on Mark Byford's million pound payoff? Possibly. Is she an incompetent compulsive liar? Probably not. Uh, She's got a huge job, a job described in broadcast this week as the toughest in HR. And as one BBC insider put it to me yesterday, she's made horrible decisions horribly. I mean, it's a a difficult job and uh, it feels like a sort of no-win situation, really.
2: Well, you know what it reminded me of? You had these six men, one woman, and it was a bit like something out of C.P. Snow, who was an author from the 1950s and 60s, you probably don't even remember. But it was like, you know, bickering at high table. They were in the main, apart from uh, Michael Lyons, Oxbridge men. They were bickering amongst each other and trying to pass the blame. And there was a horrible sort of element of let's blame the cook, really. So she seemed to be like the sort of female sacrifice to some extent. One of the things that I have done is look at BBC management and, and how it works and who does what. And there were the seven people on that panel, five of whom were Oxbridge men of a certain type. They all sort of looked fairly similar. And then I looked at the BBC board as it is now reconstituted by Tony Hall. There are seven people on the executive board four men, three women. The four men are all. White middle class Oxbridge graduates, Oxford graduates, in fact. And what really worries me and I think is much more important and fundamental than any of this stuff, which is really organisation and structural and can be fixed, is that Tony Hall is appointing more of the same type of people He's appointing people who look and sound like politicians. He is not appointing people who are soaked in modern global international television. If you look at the board at Sky, it's really interesting. They have an overriding board of directors, Mm -hmm. but the executive board at Sky has got 12 people on it. Not one of them is an Oxford graduate. They have got Two or three Americans, they've got a Frenchman, they've got got people who've been to the University of Life. It's really, really broad and diverse, and the BBC is becoming increasingly insular.
1: Thanks for that, Liz. Uh, We'll leave it there for now on the BBC. Um, Hard to believe, but it's not just the BBC that's been making waves this week. Uh, On Wednesday, broadcast revealed that uh, Channel 4 is planning to invest in fledgling indies. The broadcaster hopes to help production outfits turning over £2 a year, grown to five million pound businesses. Here's Channel 4 chief executive David Abraham prefacing the plans.
3: Our primary objective is not to see this as an aggressive, you know, expansionist strategy to get into scale production. Uh, this is really about aligning interests around our remit for developing emerging companies which is part of what we're, what we're here to do. I think the important thing for us is to think about this over a multi-year period so I think we'll probably start relatively small and learn and get it right um, but I think if, if we consistently invest into the fund over let's say a five-year period one could start to see these interests you know rolling up and being a substantial fund over time but we haven't put a number on it yet because we're still
1: um, working, working that through. This sounds genuinely groundbreaking, but uh, you're a little sceptical, aren't you?
2: Channel 4 is in a position where it can on occasion, I'll probably get uh, lambasted for this, but it can do slightly whimsical things and it worries me that this might be one of them. It is dangerous, I think, to invest in indies and then say, no, we're not going to give you preferential treatment. I can't see how that's going to work. If I was running an indie and I got a, a handout from Channel 4 and they took part in my, you know, presumably they'd get a shareholding, come on the board or whatever, I would then assume that I was one of their chosen few. Now, if I didn't get the handout from Channel 4, I'd make the obvious other decision, which is that I'm not going to get my stuff on Channel 4. So it does seem to me to queer the pitch. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's one of those things where you start to think, oh, unforeseen consequences, I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: Alex, what are your thoughts on this?
4: I think it is sort of broadly, st- philosophically, the, exactly the kind of thing Channel 4 should be doing, nurturing new companies, helping them move on to the next level. I think they're in a slightly tricky situation because it's very difficult for them to then give those companies more treatment, better treatment, I should say. I think the main worry is that they effectively, in some respects, create a false economy and that they prop up businesses that would otherwise perhaps not go on to survive and that that ultimately leads to them collapsing you know, because they're they're, they're overstretched. If if they
2: really want to help small indie businesses, why don't they pay them more for the successful ideas they take?
1: Yeah, that's a reasonable point. But, I mean, Pact of uh, being cautiously welcoming of this so far, do you think that's uh, a surprise or... Are they, you know, prepared to see investment at any cost? Well, you know, Pact, it's always going to
4: be positive about any money that comes into the market for its members. Final word to you, Liz?
2: Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, want to watch. uh, Exactly as Alex said, good idea, but, mm, you know, devil's in the detail.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. That's Talking TV's glance over the fortnight in news. My thanks to Liz and Alex. Now then, through the wonders of technology, we're going to head over to the RTS Cambridge Convention, where broadcast editor Lisa Campbell is stationed for Talking TV. Uh, Lisa, how's the conference?
5: Morning, Jake. As you can probably hear, it's very busy here. Uh, there are the usual broadcasting bigwigs from ABC's Paul Lee to the Director-General of the BBC. But surprisingly, perhaps, the conversation hasn't been as dominated by the BBC as one might have expected. And perhaps because Maria Miller's speech was um, the view here, really, is is a fairly underwhelming. Uh, I think people were perhaps expecting something a a bit more explosive, much more critical of the Trust and perhaps even suggesting it should be abolished or replaced with something else you know given that she is a a minister on the ropes I think there was a view that she might use this to make a name for herself and actually say something fairly dramatic about the trust in actual fact what she said was let's let the BBC get its own house in order leave it to them we'll monitor it from the sidelines if they don't do that we may well intervene before charter renewal but for now let them get on with it
1: Uh, and I gather you've uh, you've not been limiting yourself to Cambridge this week is that right
5: Yes, that's right. On Monday, I was at the Saatchi Gallery in West London for the launch of UKTV's showcase of new content by CEO Darren Childs. And for a channel group that's founded primarily on repeats, the focus was definitely on original content. After his presentation, I spoke to Darren and asked who the launch was aimed at. It's aimed at everyone
6: that we deal with. It's aimed at the people that create content for us, it's aimed at the advertisers that, um, that support our channels, it's aimed at our distribution partners and, and it's aimed at the press that give us coverage as well. So we try and do it as a, uh, an event that brings everybody that, that has an interaction with the business uh, together to let them know what we're up to and what we're thinking about doing.
5: And we're here at the Sarchi Gallery. So, and, and the highlight really today is about creativity, mm-hmm. and originality for you. So yep. you, you've, you've announced some original new series. Um, we're, we're about to see the, the sitcom. Yep. Um, what are some of the other highlights for you?
6: So right across the sleigh we've been investing. So in pretty much in every genre, and 2012-13 has been our biggest content investment year ever. So you know we've got things like you know Valentine Warner. We've got our first scripted comedy we just talked about our first scripted drama uh, with Legion, which we're really excited about for 2014. But we're also, you know, we've got returning series like Dara O'Brien coming back for a third season. We've got the fourth season of Dynamo in pre-planning and production right now. So we're in a very fortunate position where we've got some fantastic returning series, which are building audiences and build, helping us build a business, but also a nice new uh, kind of kind of smattering of new original pieces that will be new to the channels.
5: That was Darren Childs. You may have heard him mention their first new drama commission called Legion. Well that show's producer Tony Jordan from Red Planet Pictures was also at the launch discussing why he was particularly attracted to working with UK TV.
7: I pitched Legion which is a, a passion project of mine I've had kind of, you know, in the bottom drawer for 15 years waiting for the right moment, waiting for the right broadcaster. I think I pitched it, that project to them to kind of test their metal, if you like, to see where their drama sensibilities were. I could see that they got it and they went, okay, so this isn't, uh, this isn't kind of a big blockbuster thing, this is quite a, quite a small story, it's a love story, it's a, it's a huge subject matter and it's about a man who sells his soul to the devil, but it's not kind of guys with horns running around. And... and they really got it and then they said, okay, let's make it. which point did nearly fell off my chair.
5: And another show worth mentioning is Dave's apparently totally unplanned documentary, Ross Noble Freewheeling. Here's UK TV Commissioner Richard Watsham and the man himself, Ross Noble.
6: The concept is, it's a kind of anti-travel show, or anti-travel log rather, in which Ross travels around the country directed entirely by his fans over Twitter. So they suggest things for him to do and he scrolls down the list and he picks something and off he goes. And it could be just down the road, it could be three hours away, so it was filmed over a ridiculous amount of
7: time because it's going literally everywhere. Doing a show like that goes against completely the way that telly is made, because obviously, the way that telly is done is, somebody comes up with an idea, that idea gets workshopped, everyone puts in their two pennies, somebody else comes up with an idea, adds another layer to it, they say can you make that a bit like this and then that goes to another layer of people and then has to be cast and has to you know you have to get all the you know all these different layers of preparation what I've done with this is done away with all that is tweet comes in and says I work in Britain's biggest online sex toy retailer Oh, right, how's this going to pan out and then everyone from me to the camera guys literally has to do it in real time So Go- maybe
5: you've invented a whole new way of making telly and we won't have to have any meetings anymore, we'll just turn up and film stuff Yes. Yeah. job done, brilliant, there thank was, you
7: There was no meeting, like
6: from the minute we started filming to the minute we finished, there was no meeting
5: <laughs> Ross Noble there It'll be really interesting to see what audiences make of this new show. And just as UKTV's event was about to happen, new figures came out showing that revenue is up some 3% year-on-year with a £71 million operating profit. Um, But Darren Charles, amongst all the other statistics, came up with one which I thought was really interesting and I asked him to repeat it for me afterwards.
6: So, yeah, one of the things we were looking at is our overall viewership through... Uh, people that are coming to the channel every year and it was amazing to see that, that that's now increased to 42 million and when we were looking at some comparative data for other broadcasters one of the things that jumped out to us was uh, that a channel like hbo which is held up in so much high esteem by the industry uh, is at 41 million so we're actually now delivering more audience than hbo is delivering in the u.s now Admittedly, that's across a share of channels and services, but it basically shows that we can get to scale and size uh, through investing in the right content. And America is a much bigger market. You know, It's three times the size in terms of cable and satellite subscriptions, three times the size of the UK. So to be able to reach that kind of number is uh, we thought was something that we were very proud of and we should shout a little bit more
1: about. Thanks for that, Lisa. If you've got an event you'd like to feature on Talking TV, We're open to all suggestions. Email me on jake.canta at broadcastnow.co.uk. It's that time of the show where we look ahead to some treats or travesties soon to hit a TV screen near you. This episode we kick off with Meet the Russians, the first of Fox's original UK programmes since entering the commissioning game in January. The eight-part documentary will follow a group of wealthy Russians living in London, including high-end party planners and forthright fashionistas. Sadly though, the enigmatic Roman Abramovich is nowhere in sight. Meet the Russians is produced by Sheb Media indie Ricochet and makes its bow on the 25th of September at 9pm. Here's a taste of what you can
7: expect.
0: Welcome to my paradise. Here. Oh, oh, I would like you
7: accompanying Alina is Sister Nadia. Both ladies are keen to shine at the ballet. Shopping.
0: Yes, and just
7: relax. shopping for most mere mortals means armfuls of clothes and queuing for a cramped changing room. But why do that when you can have your very own model to try the clothes on for you? Okay, this is my first choice. Oh.
1: Uh, Stephen D Wright joins us in the studio. Uh, what, what did you make of this one? I liked it, but it had uh, quite a
3: few faults. I thought. I mean, as, a, as a, an original commission, it was very watchable. It's quite timely. You know, I wondered whether they would bring in the kind of Putin uh, homophobia, which they they did, which I thought was clever of them. Um, but it was shallow. It was it was shallow, shallow, shallow. Because some of these Russians had obviously amazing stories, but we never really got to hear that. There was there was death threats and kidnaps on some. Some of the the characters, there was obviously, you know, excessive wealth and whatever else on the others, and yet there was no questions. There was no, there was no, you know, there was no depth to it. It was, it seemed to be, how much was your fur coat? How much is your husband, your billionaire husband, your ex billionaire husband, whatever it is? How much have they spent? How much are you spending? Blah 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 blah. So it felt very almost eighties, and it reminded me of that old series, Hollywood Wives, that September Films used
4: to make. Which was very, you know, it's a Hello magazine basically. Yeah, it I'm wasn't... Not sure. I think that there was a, I think there was enough depth to the characters, so we got the gay guy story, which was quite nice, and we did hear a little anecdote about the woman being kidnapped and put in the back of the car with a gun to her head. And I think for this kind of show, for them to go too deeper and take it too gritty. It wouldn't necessarily be appropriate for Fox, and I think that there was a little bit of that. They played, they, they nodded to it, yeah. and I think to to drill down on it, it wouldn't be a it, Fox show. Them.
3: It would it just all. I, all I wanted was a little bit more. You know, I mean, because it, at first I I kind of agree with you. They they touched on it, but it was the fact that they never. Everyone sort of started to become like the same person. You know, I mean, it didn't really help. Everyone has kind of broken English mm. and that sort of classic Russian accent. But you know, some of the girls spoke almost with a perfect English accent, and I was like, was Just tell us a little bit about their story. The girl the, the two girls that ran the boutique, for example, one of them sounded completely English, completely English. None of them spoke Russian to each other when they were meeting, which I also thought was quite weird. I would have, there was you know little touches mm. of it, but I mean, as a watchable show, very very watchable. It did
1: have a bit of a strange air to it, but they, I, the thing I found interesting was they clearly discovered some very interesting characters and I thought they made the most of that actually, sort of highlighted their attributes in a a, a pretty good way.
3: In the whole show, the kind of the initial couple who were in in Kiev you know, with their their pets and, uh, and her Terrible sort of, of her gaga ambitions oh, I mean so we're initially that was me. that so they were
1: the Ukrainians they were Ukrainians <laughs> and so they were Not set the up Russians. Kamala
3: or something I think they were they were obviously seen as a kind of a bit of a joke couple you know and were kind there to be laughed at and everything but actually I felt the most sympathy with them because that was the one you actually got a tiny bit of humanity, because that's the thing, the others felt very caricature uh, characters, you know, they didn't, the gay guy, the gay guy oh, you know, right. I, you know, I left, because you cannot do this in Russia, and that was it, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, it's a bit more than that, but the, but her, when she talked about her three miscarriages, and, you know, and the obvious kind of trying to fill the hole of where the baby would have been mm. with pets and shopping and ambition, that touched me for a fraction, you know, but that's, that's the thing, they were interesting characters, a little bit more depth would have been nice. Just a tiny bit.
1: Yeah, Alex, finally, um, is this going to be as successful as Big Fat Gypsy Weddings?
4: Well, I hope so. I mean, I think what it does show is that the uh, the growing importance of access, whether it's Geordie's, whether it's Essex people, whether it's Chelsea, you need to get strong characters. And if you can do it, whether it's, you know, tubes or trains or, uh, you know, hospitals or prisons, the significance and the importance of, of gaining access to these little pockets of people, communities, infrastructure things is, is is can't be underestimated. And, you know, given the amount of marketing Fox is putting behind it, which is quite a lot, it's been all over the papers, it's all over the tube. You know, I've seen billboards. I think it stands every chance of cutting through.
1: Thanks, Alex. Next up, uh, no, it's not Dappy or Talisa. Uh, It's the other one from Ndubs you haven't heard of, Phaser. Yes, he's landed his own BBC Three show, putting seven unknown urban musicians through a crash course in classical music. The two-part documentary begins on the 16th of September and is made by the BBC's in-house production unit. Here's Phaser getting to grips with Curtis, one of his more colourful apprentices. Curtis may have the motivation to step up his performance, but whether or not he would even be at the big night is currently hanging in the balance.
6: Several months ago, he was arrested for assault and is now waiting to go on trial.
3: If I get a not guilty verdict, then the like, police station will never see me again. The courtroom will never see me again, innit? Like? But it's all it? Like, I don't want to be doing the same things when I'm 30. I need to break the cycle from now, innit?
1: Like? Alex, I found this genuinely absorbing. But uh, you, like you, weren't, you, weren't, <laughs> you weren't convinced, were you? I wasn't. I wanted to like
4: it as a fan of N-dubs. I wanted to like it. This is your scene as well, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, I no. wanted to like it more than I did. I think it wasn't straight up music enough. And I think if it had focused more on the music, I would have been more into it. But I felt that it could have been tightened up a bit. So the whole audition thing was a bit flat. The backstories, I was sort of interested in. But I remember that documentary a couple of years ago when Goldie composed a piece for the Proms, and I really liked that. That was a really tight show, and it was really clear. And also what they were trying to get from it. Faser's premise was like, yeah, kids don't like classical music, and they should. And I just felt, well, this is a bit of an open-ended sort of reason for doing it. It was almost a bit trying to put something in place that wasn't really there. And I just wished it had been a bit more tightly pulled together rather than trying to be a few different things.
1: What did you make of it, Stephen?
4: I I find it a bit worthy in the middle.
3: I mean, it sort of, it sagged a bit and it felt long an hour, but actually I sort of bought into it, you know, I mean, the, the kids do hate classical music and, and you could see that that sort of genuine kind of, oh God, you know, when they were playing that stuff. And it was quite nice to see that some of that, that wall of sound, particularly when they went into the studio, they, it started to affect them, but I kind of agree with Alex a bit that it, it, it wasn't quite one thing or the other. It was because it, musically I couldn't really tell what was happening. No. Not that I'm particularly no. musical, didn't but seem to write anything it was that thing of, are they getting it together or, or are we sort of, sort of just doing this kind of journey for the sake of it? It felt a bit stretched essentially. It could yeah. have probably been one, one show, yeah. whether or not it will sustain another episode, I don't know. But but I did start to follow the characters. I did, uh, the, you know, the the jeopardy, the whatever. You know, the the, the the character development. There was there was enough of that to keep me going. Mm. From a from a kind of um, tur- turning kids onto classical music, it's a good thing because how else do you get kids to watch stuff about classical music? I mean, that's what it felt a bit like. You could yes, very you could BBC sort of, Three. You could feel the kind of reason for it being commissioned. Yeah in that sort of it's a classical music show we've got to do something to make it look hip mm. whether it's a great tv show is a you know a different thing
1: maybe an hour would have been enough what do you think? Do you like Phaser as a host? I well, was I was right. going to ask you that. I, I thought he was really good, actually, and I think they've found a genuine talent in him. And unlike his endubs colleagues, uh, Talisa and Dappy, I thought he was very likeable. Oh yeah, uh, It cracked me up the way yeah. that he flipped between being a bit gangster and a bit hood, and then when he goes in to see the BBC
4: proms boss, he's a bit oh, famous person. Yeah, he took famous off his sunglasses uh, at that Patterson. point, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tried to be all good and goody, goody boys. Contrary, yeah, it was... But he was quite nice, yeah, man. I thought he was good. Talisa's obviously gone on to big things. Dappy's a bit manic I think he could be a potential piece of talent. Do you think
3: uh, BBC3 will do more with him? I think they will because he, he he does have a naturalness to him. He didn't come across as fake or as, as as talking bullshit or anything. He literally it, that's one thing that he you know he was very straight all the way through and that was very uh, nice mm-hmm. to see. There was no there was no pretension about him at all. Couldn't be
4: bothered to turn up to the first you audition well, which made <laughs> you laugh.
3: But no, but when he kind of thought, oh, I wrote this song last night or whatever, but music, you know, oh, hang on, yeah. he's actually got a the piano, didn't he? And and that was that sort of Ooh, you know, and he wears that very lightly, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I thought his voiceover really helped. I thought he he felt like he had a connection with the kids. I mean, he he was a strong pull throughout the show. And really? mm. when he wasn't in the auditions, it dipped. Yeah, it was a bit. Yes, so it, it did th- in that, that one audition. That's the yeah. proof, you know, from a, from a commissioner's perspective. If he's not on screen, the yeah. show sags. Get him on screen more. Yes, they'll use
1: him again. So do you think uh, this is going to be a hit or... Uh, no, is, is it? Is not hit right,
4: hit it not the right it's not got the right ingredients it's for a that. bit two part doc I don't yeah. see it being a hit I don't I don't see how it'll stand out enough I think kids will look at it and go proms yeah. I mean Phaser might pull them in
3: I don't know I, I, to me it's, it's the sort of thing BBC3 should be doing yeah. because no one else can do it it feels know? very BBC so, doesn't it Yeah. It, you know it certainly but it could have been it could have been a, a one hour show they could have they could have cut it down and made it a one hour show and made it a cracker and
4: then they could always turn it around and do a BBC4 version where they get an orchestra boss to go into the hood rats
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now that I would uh, i would watch as well uh thanks very much guys we'll leave it there for now Uh, that's your lot for this episode thanks to liz Howe, stephen d wright alex farber and lisa campbell in cambridge please talk about us to anyone who will take your word as gospel and don't forget to tell them we're available on itunes next time we'll be in salford look forward to you joining us then my name is jake Cantor. the producer was matt hill until next time goodbye
0: you've been listening to broadcast talking tv Recorded at Maple Street Studios.